Welcome to Real Life at the Ridge, the preaching ministry of Chestnut Ridge Church. I'm going to ask you, if you would, to turn in your Bibles with me, first to John chapter 17. I'm a, as you notice, we don't have any handouts this morning. I always tell preachers, don't draw attention to stuff like that, just move on. I guess it's a security blanket for me to, to acknowledge the fact that this week's been different for me. And yesterday as I sat down and I had things in, that I've been working on taking us through as a church family, um, God just stirred in my heart the need to share a few thoughts this morning. And the majority of my thoughts are going to come from a different text. But I don't want you to miss the fact that, it, that we're right in line with where we've been going. So what I want to do is I'm going to read a few verses in John 17. We're going to then go to Luke chapter 15, and we'll come back at the very end and tie things in together. So in John chapter 17, I'm going to read verses 12 through 19. He says, While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me I have kept, and none of them is lost except the son of perdition, that the Scriptures might be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified by the truth. As you find your place in Luke chapter 15 now, we know that God, through that prayer that Jesus is praying, has a desire that we are to be um, really, as it goes on, one with the Father and one with the Son. As a matter of fact, something I want you to take with you is the fact that Jesus actually said that if they have seen me, they have seen the Father. I mean, he was so intimately close with the Father. He's um, part of the Godhead, and so he is showing us the characteristics, the attributes of the Father as He goes about His 
time here on this earth. And this morning, I want you to think about this as a title. A good father goes the extra mile. A good father goes the extra mile. In Luke chapter 15, we have a, a story, my favorite places in the Bible. That might be why God sent me to a safety net. But in Luke chapter 15, Jesus is sitting down with the sinners and the publicans. The Pharisees are uh, giving him a hard time about that. He begins to teach some parables about losing things and, and going and finding them and bringing them back and rejoicing uh, a sheep, a coin. And then he dives into Luke 15. And there he says in verse 11, a certain man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. And so he divided to them his livelihood. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living or wasteful living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. And he sent him into the fields to feed swine, and he would gladly have filled his stomach with some of the pods that the swine ate, but no one would give him anything. When he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I lay here and perish in hunger? He said, I'll rise and go to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and of your sight, and no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired servants. So he rose and came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion on him, ran, fell on his neck, and kissed him. Then his son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight, no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand, sandals on his feet, bring the fatty calf. Here, let's kill it. Let us eat and be merry, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He is lost and is found. And they began to be merry. And just for context's sake, so that you can get the picture of the, what's going on at the father's house from an outside observer. Listen to this. He said, now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. He said to him, your brother has come. And because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. He talks about how the older brother gets angry, but I just want you to get a picture from somebody standing outside the house. He heard music and dancing. They were having an absolute celebration in that house. I don't have a ton of things I want you to get this morning, but what I want you to get, I want you to take it with you. Did you know that the Father may give you things that are expendable so you can afford to take your journey far enough away from the house? Did you know that a good Father may at times give you things that are expendable so that you can take a journey far enough away from the house. This man had these two sons. 
the younger of them comes to him and says, Father, give me the portion of the goods that falls to me. And it says that the father divided to them his livelihood. Not many days after he took this and he went off on a journey. And there it says he wasted it on prodigal or riotous living. I don't think it took the father by surprise that the younger son was going to waste what he gave him. I don't think the father is surprised, our heavenly father, I don't think he is surprised when we go do some of the things that we go and do, even as Christians. Maybe it's just the fact that you get away from church for just a little while. Maybe it's the fact that you quit reading your Bible for a little while. It, it, could, it could be that you're just mad at God. I text a pastor friend of mine who lost his dad just recently. Just want to let you know I'm praying for you today. Love you. I don't know where he's at in his journey. But everybody goes through things a little differently. But did you know that God owns it all? There's not a space in time that you'll inhabit. A breath of air that you'll breathe. A meal that you'll eat. Whether it is at the Father's table or whether it is off in a far country somewhere that doesn't belong to Him. Every resource that you use, whether you're in His will or out of His will, whether you are where you're supposed to be in the Christian faith, right up by Him, just like John who showed the love that he had for the Father, or for, for Christ by just resting on his bosom, the Bible says. Wherever you're at, close enough to smell what home smells like, or far enough away to smell what prodigal living smells like, everything belongs to him. It's his resources. It's his resources that a child runs away with and uses. It's his resources that they have when they're at the house. I just don't want you to miss that if God did not want you to leave the house, you wouldn't leave the house. We don't picture ourselves sometimes as children in the eyes of a father like that. You know, it's funny sometimes when you think back in your life about threatening to run away from home. I know many of us have probably done those things. And the younger you are, the less distance you'll go. And running away might be a treehouse in the backyard somewhere. And you mad and huff and puff and go on. and But then it, it gets to drawing... Toward dark, you'll start finding your way back to the house. I'll never forget my grandmother. I had, I forgot what I've done, but I'll never forget her sitting on the porch. I was supposed to go get a switch so she could whoop me. <laughs> Forget that. <laughs> Can't outrun me, old lady. And I took off down into the woods. It started getting dark and the woods started getting scary, so I started easing back up. 
All I heard was, she's still sitting on the front porch rocking. I've been there for hours. She heard me coming up into the yard. She said, you ready to get that switch now? It's amazing, isn't it? You know what's amazing to me is that in our adult lives, even as Christians sometimes, we get this idea that life would be better or maybe at this particular point, I just don't need God in my life. Here's something I want you to take with you. And I believe this is from the heart of a father, a good father. Expendable resources are not nearly as valuable as a child. There are young dads and there are older dads in here. There are dads that are now granddads and great-granddads and in here. And I'm not taking the moms out of this picture. And I know that there are moms in here that are fulfilling, probably fulfilling both roles at the moment. But I want you to hear my heart, dads. It gets harder and harder every year that goes by to provide for a family. I realize that. And the resources that you have, it gets, you, you, you want to hold on to those resources because you know the value of the resources. But then there's a part of you that realizes you only have one chance to love them. You only have one chance to spend with them in that moment of their life. I've seen parents spend all of their retirement trying to rescue children out from addictions and troubles and things like that. Uh, it, it seemed to not even hardly bother them to dig into all of their life's work that's because they love their kids. I've also seen parents that could care less about their kids. And God will deal with all that, I know. Did you know that there was something that drew the son back more than just a, a servant's share? See, when he went into this far country, the Bible says he wasted his, the livelihood that his father had given him on riotous living, a wasteful living. And then he says he uh, had a famine arose in the land. He joined himself to a citizen of that country, went out there, by, sent by the person he joined himself up with to feed swine. They wouldn't even give him any of the pigs' food, the corp pods. And then it says he came to himself and he says, I'm, this is crazy. How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and spare? And I lay here and perish in hunger. I have to believe with everything that's in me that there was something greater than just the servant's share of food that drew the son back. I realize he was hungry. But there was something, and I don't even want to speculate as to what it was. I just know that there's something there. And we don't have the privy as to know what it is or what it was. But he knew some things about his father's house that would lead him to believe that that was the place to go. If there's one thing that I've learned as a pastor and as a dad, is you always give them a home to come back to.
Always leave the door open. No matter how bad they treat you, no matter how much they make double cross you or hurt you or waste, you keep the door open. Because it might be the only place they have to go. There was something there. I have to believe that the father's treatment of the child was so good. And I'm not talking about spoiling them. My wife says that we're not spoiling our grandchildren. We're loving them. I haven't bought into that yet. She does have a good saying to kind of cover us our, our tracks, though. She said, they're not our kids to raise, they're yours. So if you don't like the way we're treating them, don't bring them over. <laughs> I'll never forget my dad. My brother didn't want my, his kids to have, uh, initially, to have any, like, um, mass-produced goodies. And my, they would drop the kids off of mom and dad's house and sometimes I'd be there and as soon as they leave out the door, my granddaddy, my granddaddy, my daddy would reach over and grab a bag of cheese puffs and pull them out and say, come on up to grandpa. And they'd all crawl up in his lap and, lap and sit there and eat cheese puffs. <laughs> I don't know that it was like that. Did you know that you don't have to give in for people to love you? As a matter of fact, I think that uh, after doing enough stints in youth ministry and ministry in general, people realize that even guidelines are love. Sometimes it takes a little while, but just you don't have to just give in to everything to love somebody. Sometimes loving them is holding the ground, staying steadfast. You know, when you're disciplining somebody and they see that you're immovable, how many parents do we have in here that you just can't see two weeks worth of grounding all the way through? Like you ground them for two weeks and you give in. Got any of those in here? Just, just be honest. Come on. It's hard, ain't it? I mean, it's hard. It's like, if I don't give them the video game back, we can't play video games. <laughs> this, is, this is not fair to me. And I don't want to play by myself. No. <laughs> it's hard. I mean, it's extremely hard to see it through. But when you're a man of your word... Guys, dads, when you're a man of your word, I believe that the son knew the father would be exactly who he was. When he left is when he come back. And that is what they need desperately. Isn't that the great thing about God? The Bible says he changeth not. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. People will change on you, but he won't. And you can trust him that when he chastises you, 
He's the same God that'll love you. As a matter of fact, that's why he chastises you. The Bible says in Hebrews, because he loves you. And not one that is not chastised is his. He's, all of them that are chastised are his. His father treated even the least in his care better than the world was treating his son. That's one thing I believe I know out of this text. That the father was treating even the servants better than the world was treating the father's son. He says, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough in despair and I lay here and perish in hunger? Did you know that just because there's a famine in the land, it doesn't mean that there's a famine at the father's house? says when he had spent all that he had. And I want you to understand this. He gave them a portion of what he had that day. And I've said this before at church. This other stuff's kind of new, but I've said this before at church. Uh, and, and if you've been here, you, you've heard it before, but I want to I share it again. Did you know that the father, when he gave that inheritance out at that particular time he didn't he hadn't died he's still alive i think it's a great point you see because he gave him a portion at that moment but that that does not mean that was the end of the father's resources the father's farm was continuing to produce you you cannot draw all the grace out of the bank in heaven. You can't draw all of the mercy out of the bank in heaven. The Bible says that my father owns the cattle on a thousand hills. I mean that, that there is an endless supply of resources. As a matter of fact, I believe that if the Hubble telescope was able to reach the edges of what we know that's made today, that God, all He has to do is speak and there'll be another universe on the other side of it. That's all He took, took to make the first one, right? He just spoke. And what I'm trying to tell you is the love of God is an unsearchable bank of riches. And it's, un, it's hard for me to imagine how God can... At the same time, hate the sinner and the sin that's in the world, but yet love them so much to send Christ to die for them. As a matter of fact, I said it just the other week, but R.C. Sproul says that that's one of the greatest dichotomies in the Christian life, is that God now looks on His child that is redeemed as sinless, as righteous, because of the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ upon our lives, His life and His death, His burial, His resurrection. He looks on that and He sees the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. Yet under that umbrella that He's shielding me, I'm still going about my day failing and falling. And one day He's going to finish it. But to think that God, our sovereign Creator that is the judge of all that's living and dead that one day is going to bring judgment upon this earth 
can look down at a human being on this earth that is not perfected in the flesh yet, but see them as righteous. I'm going to tell you what, friends, that's grace. That is the amazing grace of God. Just because your world seems to be in a famine state, it doesn't mean that God's world's in a famine. It doesn't mean that his house is without. He still has fatty calves, sandals and robes and rings, servants and houses and lands. I want to just show you a verse or two and then I'm going to just close, close things out. I know we're a little ahead. I just, I'm not going to apologize for being ahead. But I want you to look with, listen to Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 29 through 31. Then I said to you, do not be terrified or afraid of them. This is the Lord talking to the children of Israel as they're being challenged to go take the land of Canaan and they've sent spies out and they've come back with this horrible report that, oh, we've seen the giants and we've seen all these fortified cities and we can't overtake them. Joshua and Caleb are only two out of the crowd that give a good report. It's amazing, isn't it? Twelve spies sent out. Two of them come back with a good report. Ten didn't. Only one of them out of the twelve actually gets to see the place. He says, Then I said to you, do not be terrified or afraid of them. The Lord your God who goes before you, he will fight for you according to all he did for you in Egypt before your eyes. Don't miss the fact that they are going off of the testimony of what God has already done. And they know that he's not going to fail them now. And in the wilderness where you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a man carries his son in all the ways that you went until you came to this place. Second Corinthians chapter 6. Normally have all my scriptures all laid out here. Second Corinthians chapter six, verses sixteen through eighteen. And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God, as God has said, I will dwell in them, walk among them, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them. And be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. When I go back to John 17, it's amazing to see the love that God has for us. In Christ. Listen to this verse. Verse 
verse 19, John 17. For their sakes I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified by the truth. Jesus was saying, for their sakes, I'm setting myself apart. I'm going to the cross. I'm going to go die for them so that they might be set apart by the truth. In a world that is so tossed up and twisted, truth is something that is being debated. What is truth? That's what Pilate asked Jesus. Is what this particular group of people say, is that truth? Is it what the other group of people say truth? Or is it some of these people in the middle? Or is it, are these independent people? Is it what they say is truth? And our world seems to be so fast running off of relative truth. What's relevant to me? What works for me? But see, God, as I said before, He never worked that way, and He still doesn't work that way today. Everybody can change anything they want to change, but it will not change who He is and what He said. As a matter of fact, when everything's said and done, the Word of God is going to remain. The Word will remain. I've had a lot of things that I thought would be good for me to do. But everything that I think is good for me to do may not be the right thing for me to do if it's the wrong according to the Word of God. And that's hard, folks. When we live in a world that is so driven like this, and the Father cares more about you than you care about yourself. He knows more about you than you know about yourself. You know, when we were out with the kids, and this is a statement I shared with a couple of our folks. <laughs> Actually, I may have only shared it with one. As we drew in toward Friday on youth camp, I said, you know, it's a job caring for folks that either don't know how to care for themselves or don't care to care for themselves. Now, that's not a kickoff on our kids. I'm just, they're teenagers. But this is a job. I mean, I, I know what it's like to take care of a couple, but I had to be reminded what it was like to take care of a bunch. Why should you have to say, don't do that to certain things, right? Why? It's like, it ought to be obvious that you don't do that. But they don't know. Our grandkids, we're, we're having to do things that we had to do with our kids. Do not touch the stovetop, right? Why, folks? Because it's hot. They don't know it's hot. They don't even know what hot is. Right, don't touch the iron. They've never experienced it. Some of them that have experienced it haven't been burnt. So they don't care because they've not had a consequence because of it. Isn't it amazing that God, when you think about it, this is why I'm not throwing off on them. When I thought about that, my heart sank and I go, Lord, 
How many times have you felt that way about me? You know, how many times have you looked at me as my heavenly father and said, why do I have to tell you over and over again, don't do that. Don't touch this. Don't look at that. Don't think this. And I had to ask myself the question, is it because I don't know or because I don't care? Aren't you glad that his patience and love is so long-suffering? Aren't you glad that he cares so much for us, his children, that he would endure watching us and others go contrary to what he wants. To see a plan through that he set in place. Dad, this is a job, is it not? Uh, this is a good opportunity for y'all to say, if you've never said amen in church before in your life, this is a great opportunity. Dad, it's a, Dad, it's a job. Can I get a witness? It's a, it's a job. It's a job. It is. And a lot of times, people don't understand why you do what you do sometimes. But you have to do it anyhow. Sometimes mom might be upset with you because you have to do certain things and stick with certain things. But you got to stay with it. You got to stick through because if God's given you the responsibility, as our Heavenly Father, He has commanded upon you the responsibility to lead your homes. He's given us a great model to go by. Take His word and let it guide you. But don't you forget at the end of the day, and I want you to hear my heart when I say this. I'm not pinning any particular person, but I'm going to say this. At the end of the day, you can lay your lazy rear end on the couch all you want to. You're going to give an account. And if she had to do it, and she didn't do it right, it's still on you and it's still on me. And if there's anything this world desperately needs is men. Desperately need men, not just any men, men of God. Men that will not change, will not bend, but will see it through knowing that it may cost them everything. But they believe that the truth is the truth and they trust God. He needs us, whether you got children or not, men. God wants us to stand up. And I'm going to actually ask you to stand with me right now. I don't know any of you, I don't know any of your situations, honestly, just between you and the Lord, whether you're saved or not. You say, well, you ought to know. You've been pastoring me for nearly 14 years now. Nothing amazes me anymore. 
You work out your own salvation and fear and trembling. I'm just giving you the gospel, giving you the opportunity. If you're lost today, you can be saved. You can simply right where you're at, you put your faith and trust in what Jesus Christ did on the cross by first admitting the fact that you are sinful, separated from Him. And the Bible says if you'll confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you'd be saved. There's a lot in that. To just simply confess that Jesus is Lord is a big statement. It means you're laying it all down. He's now in control of your life. He's in charge. He makes the calls. And He can do that because He purchased you on Calvary. You say, I don't know nobody leading my life. And Christianity might not be for you today. And that's just the truth. Dads, I want you to know I'm praying for you. I encourage you. If you've got things going on in your life right now that are hurting your family, please hear my heart when I say this. I'm standing before you as a beggar showing another beggar where to get bread from. I'm not any better than anybody else. But anything we have, guys, that is causing us to not be what we need to be in our homes, it has to go. No matter how much you enjoy it, no matter how much you love it, I can tell you this much. If a habit of yours, a, a, a thing that you enjoy, costs you time that you should be spending at home, then that thing has to go. That thing's got to go. You've got responsibilities. How would it be at work if you didn't show up? Huh? Come on, guys, give me a little witness. If you just don't show up for work, what's going to happen? You're going to get fired. There's been a lot of homes that have had absentee men because they're out chasing off everything they want to chase after. We've got a responsibility. We've got to clock in. Go to work. Thank you for listening today. Pastor Greg wants to share with you how the gospel changed his life and how it can change yours too. You know, Tim, it was the gospel that saved me. I'll never forget when Ray Elder came into my life, uh, God put him there and he shared the truth of the gospel with me, that I was a sinner, that Christ died for my sins, and that if I would accept him as the Lord of my life and follow him, that he would change my life. And that's exactly what he's done. I wonder if that's something that you would like to do today, that you would today before God just admit, you know, God, I'm a sinner, I'm lost, and I need you. And God, I believe that Christ died on the cross for me, and I want to accept his payment today for, for my sins, and I want to live for him from this point forward. If you pray that prayer today, we want to welcome you into the family of God. We also want to encourage you to contact us. You'll find a link below where you can reach us, and so we look forward to hearing from you. so much that he gave his son for us. Amen. God bless you guys.